Welcome to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at McAllister College Radio 91.7 FM, St. Paul, Minnesota. We're in hour two of Blast Beats and Bicycles, and this hour I'm joined by Josh Cleave, the executive director of the Minnesota High School Cycling League. Josh, how you doing? Doing wonderful. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, it's great to have you here. I'm excited to get into some stuff around the league and about all your mountain bike exploits and all that, so... Lots well, yeah. to talk about. And you've had some fantastic music so far today. As I was coming on in here, I could hear the Rage Against the Machine blasting from outside. It was such a great <laughs> welcome. Well, you know, that's how we roll out the red carpet for all our guests, right? We got the live in-studio band rocking and rolling for everybody who comes on. So, you know, you're on. You should be honored. Well, thank you again. <laughs> all right. So as we do every week, uh, we are going to bring in a little velodrome news from the National Sports Center velodrome. Uh, last night, we had our first uh, rain-free evening in three weeks. So it was very exciting to actually get back on the boards uh, and had a lot of fun. We had our Velo Kids program out there. So we had our junior races. They were 9, 10, and 11 years old, and they just killed it up there. It's really fun to see those young kids get out there after it, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And it, there's something about it when you're eight, nine, 10 years old, and there's just the freedom of a bicycle. And then you give them something like the velodrome, which is this awe-inspiring thing. As you drive up to it, it's just massive. And you're like, I'm going to get a ride on that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing to see. I mean, the, the, the form and the spin that these kids have on these fixed gear bikes. I was like, wow, most of the adults in here can't spin that fast. Uh, that's a common problem that we have. These kids are <laughs> faster and faster and have more riding talent today than I think they've ever had. Yeah. And and the older we get, the faster they get. Right. <laughs> we don't get slower. They all get faster. I, I, I think that's right. <laughs> And we also had a couple of state championships. Uh, we, it, was a, it was kind of a special night. Uh, Peter Moore, uh, whose father actually is a professor here at McAllister, uh, was back uh, from his trips to Masters or Junior National Championships, where he won uh, two medals and was selected to the U.S. Junior World Cycling Championships team. Well, that's fantastic. You know, it, it constantly amazes me for when you think of the population of Minnesota, how many people we have coming out of the state that are competing at the top levels. And, uh, you know, this isn't Colorado or right. some of these other places, and they're just out there crushing it. Yeah, I mean, our, our riding window is pretty short relative to the rest of the country. I mean, we don't have a ton of time to train, uh, especially when you're talking about the track. When it gets really cold up there and, you know, you start to get rain, it really makes it tough to ride the track. Most certainly, but that's probably why fat biking has been such a popular thing lately. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the other thing that was exciting, not only did we have Peter on hand, he was a graduate of our Velo Kids program. He started when he was eight years old mm -hmm. in that Velo Kids program and now is uh, at 17. Uh, I think just turned 18 yesterday, in fact, or a day before, um, is, you know, now on the on the world championships team. It's it's really exciting to see that that happen. Yeah, but it, I'm going to go back to this. It keeps happening over and over again, and I think it's such a neat thing to see these kids coming off the track and going on and doing wonderful things. We think back to Kelly Catlin. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean... State it, mountain bike champion. Yes, she was. Yeah, so uh, so she's definitely one of those success stories from the, from the league. This is probably a good way for us to get into talking about the league a little bit. Um, you've had a lot of kids come out and do really well on sort of the regional and the national level out of the league. How does that... How does that develop over time? How do those kids in that talent come out of Minnesota? You know, that, that's a great question. And I don't, you know, the focus of the league is not to produce the next elite level athlete. The sole ambition here is to get kids riding bikes. But there's something about when you have to go to practice every day, you're held accountable by your team. Um, they put more worth into it. And the way that we've structured the program is it doesn't matter if you're winning the race or if you're somewhere a little bit farther back in the pack. The simple fact that you complete the race you're contributing to your team. And so you get a lot of these kids from all different backgrounds participating and they're all racing. It's no drop. It's no tryout. Um, they get really committed. Now, with that being said, we have a lot of these students that maybe weren't as excited about what initially was their original sport in life, whether it was cross country running or football or hockey. And they take that same dedication and passion and they already were an elite level athlete. And we've given them this new outlet. And, you know, Sean O'Donnell is one of my favorite stories. Uh, he's from Rochester, Minnesota. Sean uh, participated in the high school league early on. And um, so he goes out and he wins last year the nationals for both downhill. And I think it was super D. Wow. And I'm going, so we have a flatlander from Minnesota. <laughs> Who's crushing up. it going downhill. Exactly. That's so awesome. Made his pro debut uh, last week um, and uh, still took 17th in pro. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, that's the kind of thing where you talked about that dedication and that accountability mm -hmm. where they're actually working in a system. You know, a lot of us just get out there and 
and, you know, shred the red up in Cuyuna or something like that. Have no idea what we're doing, but we're bouncing off trees and having a great time. But these kids, they learn skills. Mm -hmm. They get the kind of rigorous training that you need to be at that next level. Yeah. And, you know, it goes beyond just racing bikes. Um, Kelvin Jones, Park Tool, great example of this. Um, Kelvin really embraced the idea faster than we as an organization could that there's more to it than just racing. And so there's a bunch of student athletes that are really dedicated to the racing, but some of them, it's something else. Mm -hmm. And so... Kelvin said, you know, there's a bunch of these people that want to get into STEM and engineering. So I'm going to create this equipment manager position. And so Kelvin, right, the yep. gentleman that wrote yeah. the blue book. Yeah. Um, Technical it, genius. Uh, understatement. <laughs> <laughs> and and Kelvin goes, well, I'm going to I'm going to personally teach these kids how to maintain bicycles. And so he's training up the next big group of uh, bike mechanics who are then going on and they're, I mean, I was talking to one of them the other day, they're finishing up their bachelor's degree in material engineering and they think that they're going to go on to get their master's degree, but they're not quite sure because they just got an internship to go work for one of the big aerospace companies doing wow. material layups for, you know, as the wing flaps up and yeah. down and figuring out the duty cycles. That's amazing. You know, and, and I think back to, you know, the equipment managers, quote unquote, when we were in high school, you know, it was basically people bringing water and carrying dirty laundry. You know, I mean, it was like a very non-technical job, but this is like full on bike mechanic work. Yeah. And where else are you going to get to spend that much time with, I mean, let's the gold standard of individuals in, in bike maintenance and bike repair, by the way, at a very, very well-known Minnesota company who in a couple of years, they might be playing a jobs for when they get done with college. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible to see the connection that the community has made to the league. And it's it's just exploded in the last few years. The league is what, six years old now? Seven. Uh, we're heading into our seventh season back in 2012. We had 151 kids. And this year we're on track to hit over 1,700 racing students. Wow. That doesn't count the kids that show up to team practices and never race. And that's completely okay. I mean, we're still getting butts on bikes. That's the goal. Yeah. Um, so it, it keeps growing every year. That's fantastic. How many schools around the state of Minnesota have teams right now? Over 100. Wow. So we have, uh, there's, we allow some composite teams. So especially when mm -hmm. you get up North, we have some larger geographics where some schools, uh, bunch together. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, over a hundred schools now, uh, are represented in Minnesota. So you've grown 10 times what you started with in 2012. Yep. That's absolutely incredible. What, what do you attribute that huge growth to? I, I think it really comes down to this. And I, I played football as a kid before I really embraced Alpine skiing and mountain biking. And this is a sport because of how it's been structured. Every day I get to go ride my bike. And it's not like football where every single day you show up, you do the drills, you do the drills, you do the drills. And if you're good enough on Friday, you might get to go on the field for 30 seconds. Right. Here, every day I get to go ride my bike. Yeah. Every day I'm out at Lebanon, I'm out at Murphy, I'm out wherever, I'm riding my bike, I'm with my friends. Mm -hmm. And while there is a coaching component to skills and development, not all of them are being coached to be elite level athletes. Those right. that want to go down that track and go down that track. But those that we call the adventure track, they just want to go out, have fun. Yeah. They can go out, have fun, but do it in a structured environment where we're building strong body, strong mind and strong character through the program. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, those skills are transferable, you know, to anybody who wants to ride, you know, I mean, getting good on the trails makes you faster and have more fun when you're out riding with your friends. Right. Most certainly. And, you know, we've, we've really been trying to digress downstream into this and say, okay, racing might sound scary to some. And so how can we get people uh, that are potentially interested to, to get involved? So very early on, we launched something called the Try It Out program. Uh, and it was open to any kids 7th through 12th grade in the state of Minnesota to show up at a trailhead. We had coaches there and we had bikes there and they could come out and they can try it. And the idea was, is after 30 minutes of instruction and a half an hour ride, they could at least have a better decision as to whether or not they wanted to join a team. Right. Now, the problem with that is, is an hour maybe isn't enough time. And so we recently launched a program called Dirt School, and it's designed to be an after-school program as well as a summer camp program where for six weeks, a student athlete goes to their school, they hop on a bus, and they go to a different trail center every single week. We have a truck and trailer there full of bikes, helmets, everything that they need. So it's not like mom and dad have to go buy a bike. Um, we put them through skill instruction for, say, half an hour, and then we go take a ride on that trail. And so each week we're progressing their skill sets and each week they're getting to try a different ride center. And so by the end of this six week program, they should be confident that they and their friends can go off and ride and feel comfortable and safe at any of the trails. That's amazing. And so how do you get the parents to be comfortable with that kind of an environment? You know, it's a, it can, it, people have this perception that mountain biking can be 
dangerous. How do you overcome that with parents of new riders? You know, that's a great question. And it's something that I always, I, I it's, it's so funny because people, isn't that dangerous? Yeah, I know. And people I'm, say that about the velodrome all the time too. Yeah. Like it's the safest thing in the world. And when I'm going, well, so you're going six miles an hour in the wood on dirt <laughs> right. or, or in the woods on dirt. Right. And it's not like we're having to deal with cars. And we specifically chose mountain bike racing to start this program because if you go look, it's got the lowest injury rates out of all the forms of cycling. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, we can control the environment. It's not like we're trying to shut down public roads. We're on a four right. acre plot of land. We can shut this place down. We have access to everything and we can yep. really control the environment. And uh, we recently wrapped up a safety study um, that was done in conjunction with the Mayo Clinic and uh, University of Utah. Mm -hmm. And it was structured the same way as the National Federation of High School Sports does all of their injury tracking. And lo and behold, we, we realized that we're not any more dangerous. In other words, we're not having a higher injury rate than most of the other sports out there. That's great. And so you go look at it and you compare it to a football or hockey and we're well below that. Yeah. Well, that, and that's a message that I don't know that everybody kind of internalizes just because mm -hmm. of the perception. But, you know, I mean, obviously that's going to be the kind of thing that you want to share with with parents. Most certainly. So we're, we're taking that uh, now this year. Um, and we actually just launched three new states. The announcement came out yesterday. So now we're in 25 states. Over 70% of the United States population has access to a NICA program now. Wow. What, and, and explain NICA for people who don't know. Yeah, sorry. Thank you, Jason. So NICA is the National Interscholastic Cycling Association. Think of it this way. They are the sanctioning body, the coach licensing program um, that we operate under. And so you know, the Minnesota League idea was hatched right as NICA was emerging, and we were one of the first leagues to hop on with NICA. And subsequently, us being, I think we were league number four or league number five, now they're up to 25 over wow. the past eight years. That's amazing. And, and you guys have brought a lot of new things to the national level that were developed here in Minnesota. Am I right? Most certainly. Um, we kind of don't like the status quo. <laughs> and uh, we, we pushed really hard because initially it started off as 9th through 12th only, and it was high school mountain bike racing. And so yeah. we intentionally changed our name to Minnesota High School Cycling because we may move into different disciplines. We haven't yet. But uh, we launched a middle school program. So it was unheard of in California, the idea that 7th and 8th graders might participate at a high school level. But if you yeah. come from an alpine skiing background or you're from northern Minnesota, Any sport. Really I mean, I started playing on a tennis team in high school in seventh grade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we launched that program. Um, we actually changed the category structure before it was solely grade based. Mm -hmm. um, and there was ways to petition and things. But uh, we went to more of an ability based structure uh, this past year that worked out very well. And um, some of the other states, as they grew, they went to two day racing, which was where half the teams raced on Saturday and half the teams raced on Sunday. And it was because one or two fields were too big. And we said, you know, let's let the teams pick the races they want to go to. And so we go to a round robin. And so at every single race, there's a different set of teams that are showing up. And so it's not a foregone conclusion who's going to win. And that makes it exciting. Yeah. And only at the state race do we have all of the teams racing against one another. And so it is entirely possible that some of these kids may have only raced against one another once or once twice. Once or twice. Yeah, that's really interesting. So how do you mark the right riders? I mean, you really got to be paying attention if you want to win the race, right? Okay. Hammer down. <laughs> <laughs> Keep pedaling. Yeah. You got to leave it out on the course. Yeah. So how big are the fields typically on race day? So we work with about a four mile course. And so we're a bunch of data junkies that always look at lap times <laughs> and, and how many, how many people are overtaking and everything else. And with some of our race day structures, we really were able to condense it and make it so we can actually put about 150 kids on the course. Wow. But the way they're seated at a hundred percent. And so if you're lining up, even if you're lining up at you know, rider 100, the person to the right of you is one point in front of you in the point series. And the person to the left of you is one point behind you. Wow. And so, so you're really competing against people of an equal ability. Yep. And so that's the neat part. So we've, we've virtually eliminated the lapping issue with most of our fields. And, uh, it's great because before we used to have these massive clumps as people would get stuck up in the sure, woods and, and you're pass. putting a foot down and waiting and passing and yeah. yeah. And now it's, it's just, if we go to the finish line, there's just this constant stream of kids coming out of the woods and it's just this constant drone of cowbells and cheering. And that's great. Um, it's, it's so neat to see that. And it doesn't matter if they're going for the win or if they're going for 38th place. Yeah. They're giving it their all. And there's just some of the, I mean, Todd Bauer, great photographer. If you haven't seen TMB images, um, he's got some great photos yeah. and, and you can't tell what's the winning shot and right. what was place 57 because these kids are just giving it. So fired up. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, that enthusiasm is something that strikes me whenever I'm out at race day to see the, the kids cheering their teammates on. What is it that makes that possible? You know, 
we've always tried to focus on, you know, you support everyone. And that comes from the scoring methodology that we utilize to team structures and all the way down. And um, I, I can't put my finger on it, but I think that from the get-go, we've had a great culture of supporting everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's not about who wins. The race is merely the opportunity to measure yourself against the effort you've put in. Yeah. And because of that, everyone's racing against themselves. Right. And so I want to support everybody because sure. they're out there and they're doing it. Yeah. They're putting the time in and we need to acknowledge the efforts that they've put forth. Yeah. And you guys put in some special uh, features in the scoring to make sure that everybody contributes in some way. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the biggest thing is it's a co-ed sport. And so we want to make sure that there's there's gender diversity in the scoring. And mm-hmm. so they have to, depending on their team size, score both men and women. And uh, there isn't, unlike alpine skiing, where you only get to put 10 up right. on your varsity race. Here, you put every single student athlete in the race. And mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you have five kids or if you have 50 kids or you know, Stillwater and Prior Lake, there are over a hundred kids this year. Oh, jeez! And, the, and regi- <laughs> registration hasn't closed. Wow. <laughs> um, but in those cases, every kid gets to go on out there and, yeah. and they have the opportunity to provide points for their team. That's amazing. And, and so at what point do those teams become, I mean, obviously they never become too big to, to function. I mean, if you've got over a hundred kids on some of these teams, how do they manage all of that? You know, I, I think one of the biggest, if not the largest uh, contributing factor to why we've grown as fast as we have is because we have some of the greatest coaches and they're doing it for the right reasons. And you look at the support structure around teams, both big and small. Um, yeah, we've got the the mountain bike racers that they have a kid on the team and so they're coaching and, and OK, fine. But we have a pretty robust coach licensing program that can take someone who's interested and has the ability to communicate effectively and then teach them how to coach a kid on how to ride a bike and teach them how to structure a team. And so we're taking these individuals that don't have coaching backgrounds, that don't come from mountain bike racing, and in some cases, even cycling backgrounds, Hmm. and we're equipping them to go off and and put together a team and carry this forward. And they're doing it because they're getting excited from seeing Johnny and Susie off there doing this. And um, I think that's just such a big part of it. And I mean, yeah. we have 700 some coaches in Minnesota. That's amazing. So you've basically got a one to two ratio coaches to students. Yeah. And they, they come from such a broad, diverse background, everything from, you know, former folks that were Tour de, Fran- Tour de France alternates to former pro racers for other countries, Wow! all the way down to, you know, a mom that just wants to spend more time with her kids and said, this seems like a good thing to do. Yeah, that's amazing. So what's the connection like with the schools that are participating in the team in terms of the league structure? Mm-hmm. What's that connection to the schools like? So we're an independent provider, so it's no different than how, say, lacrosse started way okay. back when. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're an independent entity that provides licensing and insurance, mm-hmm. and it's you know, basically the same as what you get through the Minnesota State High School League, but we're not affiliated with them. And so no different than any of those other independent providers, most school districts, nearly all of them have a program or a policy in place that says if you have this many contact hours, there's this educational component, et cetera, et cetera. We'll go ahead and we'll recognize your activity and we'll go ahead and provide lettering. And it's bureaucracy. There's some paperwork that has to get filled out and things got to get voted on. Um, But the majority of our teams now are actually recognized by their school and the kids are getting letters for the time that they put in. That's fantastic. So what's the leadership of the Minnesota League look like? How are you guys structured? So we call them the core staff. Now, granted, almost all of them are volunteers and there's over 40 of them now. Wow. And they are the ones that are really responsible for making all of this happen. And it's everything from making sure we have race courses to coordinating all of our volunteers. You know, it takes 120 plus volunteers to run a race. Wow. Um, And marketing communications and merchandise Mm -hmm. and just making sure that the truck and trailer show up at the race site. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces to it. And especially when we get in racing season where it's basically every week we have a race somewhere. Yeah. And if you haven't been to one of the races, and this was key for us, we wanted to make sure, because this may be the first time a student athlete has ever been to a high school event, we want to make sure it's something truly special. And, you know, they may have never heard their name read aloud a loudspeaker. And so when they first walk in, everything's organized. There's snow fence up everywhere. There's this sea of 50 or 100 team tents. It looks like a pro race. That's amazing. And- We're very conscious with our announcers. It's like, yeah, you focus on the race, but it's more important that you read every student athlete's name name, aloud. Mm -hmm. And um, 
So that's a, a big piece of it. But it takes a lot of effort to get that basically building a city of 3000 people seven times a year over yeah. the course of 10 weeks. Yeah. So what does race day look like or race weekend, I should say, really, because you guys put in a three or four day effort to put on a race. Yeah. I never knew what it was like to work 60 hours in three days until we started running races. <laughs> um, but yeah. no, I mean, it starts early Friday. We, we shoot on out to the venues and granted, we've been talking with them, but it's uh, getting out there, making sure that no trees have fallen. There's no issues, you know, it the more everyone says they want to be a race promoter. And then you turn around and you realize it's like, wait, wait, you mean the you course, have to do that too? Well, yeah, the course wasn't <laughs> flooded two days ago, but it got rain today. So now yeah. the river is over the embankment. So we lost half our course. Mm-hmm. I mean, the things that happened, but good times. Um, so we're out there on Friday. We're just doing some general setup. Saturday is when all heck breaks loose. Typically we'll start having 50 volunteers pounding what we call pins and poles. And mm-hmm. we use a lot of snow fence. There's probably a mile of snow fence in the trailer. Wow. And, uh, and, and really setting up the course and getting everything ready. So the kids start showing up about noon or one o'clock on yep. Saturday. We pre-ride from one to four and then uh, Sunday morning, bright and early, we're on site and pre-rides at 730. Racing starts at 845 and we're typically wrapping up with our award ceremony about 430. And how many categories do you run each day? Um, it seems to change a little bit every year, but we got about, <laughs> we got about 14 categories that we're running through the wow. course of the day. And those are all individual race times, race schedule slots. Yes. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, just I, having promoted races for a number of years, I can only imagine the logistics of swapping out all, making sure all the kids from the previous race are off the course, mm-hmm. making sure that everything is set up and ready to go. And if, if people have knocked down the pins and poles that you <laughs> talked about, get, making sure those get back up. And Oh, man. yeah. I mean, we got course marshals that on course. There's about 10 of them. We have roving marshals. We have sweeps. And then on top of it, um, our timing partner does a great job keeping track of all the kids for us. And we have a pretty robust system to make sure we know where everyone's at. But more importantly, since we've been able to work with all these venues, and and I need to really point this out, when we started, we could go to basically any venue that the Minnesota Mountain Bike Series had a race. Mm -hmm. Now we're, in many cases, more than twice the size of them. So almost every venue we're at now, we've had to work with them to develop them to support the infrastructure that we need. Wow. But because of that, we've been able to put together these great time windows Mm -hmm. and uh, we're able to run a really tight show. And so at no point in time anymore, do you feel like there's downtime? Yeah. And that's the one thing our coaches give me a hard time about because they're like, I'm always running to the start or I'm always (laughs) running to the finish. There's something always going on. But I I come from car racing. Yeah. You want to see a show. Yeah, And you want it to be exciting and you want it to be more than just your son or daughter's race. And you want to be there all day and you want it to be exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, and coaches have got to learn that technology is their friend, right? There's plenty of e-mountain bikes that are out there right now. They don't have to pedal or run the whole time, right? Yeah, it was really funny. I mean, one of the most uh, sought after jobs is our sweep category, which gives parents the opportunity to go ride their bikes on the race course during the race. (laughs) But the job is you have to keep up with whoever is in the last place of a field. Yeah, Trying to keep up with the varsity field is nearly impossible. Yeah, I believe it. And um, I believe it. We, we have to actually vet this this rollout because yeah. we've had so many folks come up. Oh, yeah, I can hang. Right. And, and halfway through lap one, they're cooked. Oh, that's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Well, I want to remind everybody that we're listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 WMCN McAllister College Radio on the FM dial. We're here with Josh Cleave, the executive director from the Minnesota High School Cycling League. And Josh, you know, I know that you are an old radio guy, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but we're going to play a little music. Josh gave me a few suggestions, so we're going to kick things off with LaGrange from ZZ Top. Rumors run round in that Texas town. About to check outside the game. And you know what I'm talking about. Just let me know if you wanna go to that whole mound on the range. They got a lot of nice girls. I'm all- 
All right, a little ZZ Top there by a special request from our in-studio guest here at Blast Beats and Bicycles. This is McAllister College Radio 91.7 FM in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm here with Josh Cleave, the executive director of the Minnesota High School Cycling League. You having fun so far, Josh? Oh, this is wonderful. Yeah, and so uh, I don't want to diverge too far from our conversation, but I understand that you have a little radio background. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of funny. I just got a text message from an individual, uh, Tom Ringdahl, that was involved with this. So back in the 80s, and, and it's still going now today, but in the 80s and the 90s especially, BEC, Bloomington Educational Cable Television, had uh, radio TV. And so... Say that again? Radio TV. <laughs> okay. And so <laughs> Channel 34, Yep. right? Yeah. And, and you... We would sit down there. We get to do a great show format like this, but it was really fun. We had the little Elmo camera. And so if you were playing a cassette tape, <laughs> you'd slide the cassette tape or the the, the CD cover over the, the camera. And that's what people would <laughs> that's see. And that's awesome. And then every now and then you might actually change it to the, this camera that was up in the right-hand corner so they could see what was going on in the room. And, you know, it was really funny when we got here. I was talking to Michael, the station manager. Right. And he kind of made a comment about the equipment being, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a couple years old. And I'm looking at him. I'm like... Equipment in a radio station is always 20 to 30 years behind. Yeah. And so I started talking about carts and reel-to-reels. And he's like, oh, wait, <laughs> carts. Wait, we, we got a reel-to-reel play over here. We don't know how to use it. Can you show me? So Kids. Sh- oh, my gosh. Yeah. So sure enough, I went over there and we played with a reel-to-reel player. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember the carts. Oh, so, so, yeah, painfully. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it's, it's a great program they got running down there, you know, uh, BEC is a multi-time award-winning program. Gets a lot of kids involved in tech. And, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's different than cycling, obviously, but a great program. And if you guys are interested in more, you can check out BECTV.org. Well, and I think actually that might be the first time you and I met was through BEC at the North Star Grand Prix or what Nature Valley Grand Prix. Yeah, you know, uh, so we all have a day job for the bike league. And uh, you and I were working together on a web project. Yep. And uh, it was really funny because I distinctly remembered BEC had the production van. They yep. were covering, I think it was the Stillwater Criterium. Yep. Or it might have been uh, the one in Uptown. And uh, I just walked in and you're looking at me like, why can you just walk into that truck? That's the production truck. And I'm There's like, people in there doing TV stuff. Yeah, but I know half of them. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. And the, the pride or the look on Tom's face. So Tom's their director. <laughs> and he looks at me and he had to like triple take because I hadn't seen him in like 10 years. And he's like, oh, uh, 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 are you working? Can we put you to work? <laughs> Here, wind this cable. That's <laughs> about right. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So uh, you talked a little bit earlier about the the summer camp program uh, that you've got going on now and the after school program. Can you talk a little bit about the genesis of that and, and where you want to take that? So and I think I mentioned before, I grew up doing a lot of alpine skiing. I was in Blizzard. And for those of you that are familiar with it, um, we basically, uh, sorry, but I, I took the idea from them. Um, <laughs> nothing wrong with a yeah, good but, old fashioned plagiarism, but, but think of it this way. You're, you're at school, you're done for the day. You could just go home and play video games, or you could do something really cool. like go ride a bike. And you know, the problem is, is there's not a trail in every single town and I don't always want to ride the same trail. Right. And so how is it that we can bridge the gap from, I've never done this before. Oh, geez. To, I might actually join a team. Yeah. And so that's really what the the point of this program mm-hmm. is, is um, you know, we'd love to see this operating in a lot of different school districts. And that way, you know, they get done for school for the day. They hop on that bus, they go off and they get a chance to go ride bike. It comes mm-hmm. back home at five o'clock or whenever they hop yep. on their activity bus, they might go home. And so that way we're just trying to make it more accessible to individuals, especially without having to go buy a bike or yeah. try to figure it out. Cause that's probably the most scary thing about picking up mountain biking. If your right. family doesn't do it. Yeah. You don't have any frame of reference. There's nobody there to guide you through it. Yeah. And it's, it's, where do I go? I mean, right. You know, and so that's what we're trying to bridge that gap and give more of an adventure track and and the opportunity for people to go off and just enjoy the freedoms of riding a bicycle. And and are you working with the same age group uh, that are participating in the league or is this a different group? For right now, we're still focusing on 7th through 12th grade, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. So Excellent. But uh, the great part about it was we had a great pilot of that this past uh, this past summer. And if it wasn't for the fact that we have a race series to run, we'd actually be running stuff in fall already. We've gotten contacted by a number of school districts and uh, we're lining things up to start up next spring. And uh, so if anyone's interested in having this in your school district, certainly you can reach out to me. We can chat more about that later. Um, but love to talk to some more folks and, and get the program going everywhere we can, because ultimately our goal is to get kids riding bikes. Yeah. And, uh, and you had kind of a special summer camp uh, just last week or two weeks ago up in Cuyuna. Can you talk a little bit about 
that experience? Yeah, it's it's another one of those programs that we're using to kind of bridge the gap between the initial try it out session and actual being a part of a team mm-hmm. and racing. And uh, we go up to Cuyuna for four days. We stay at True North Base Camp, which is great. It's right on the trail system. Yeah. And uh, set up tents and hang out. And every single day we get up, we go riding. Um, and we have another another set of fun activities for everyone to do. So um, some days they're going to the lake. Sometimes they're going to get ice cream. Sometimes we have skills competitions. Um, they're even doing a, a skidding competition when I showed back up. So uh, I'm sure that was totally sanctioned, wasn't it? Um, I wasn't there, so I guess they thought so. <laughs> but I will say... Every single one of those kids had a great smile on their face. And then they even suckered me into playing the water balloon war this awesome. year. And uh, so there's this great photos. And I don't think the kids realize that it took like three hours to fill all of the water balloons for <laughs> which were promptly destroyed in about, in about 30 minutes. seconds. Yeah. Yeah. But the funny part is, is we wouldn't. So we have this big wrap up at the end of camp. And yep. one of the, the the camp coaches puts together this great video of all these pictures. And we handle some awards and stuff. And um we said, you guys, we're not going to start this and you can't go home until all the trash is picked up and understand that the trash produced during this time period <laughs> is 99% water balloons. <laughs> so they got out like over uh, half an hour late because no one wanted to pick them up right after the water balloon fight. No. They had to wait until Wednesday to finally pick them up. And by that point in time, it's been run over eight times. It's yeah. crossed in the ground. Mm-hmm. And, and it's uh, just tiny little shards. Yeah. So we had, uh, we had estimated 15 minutes to pick up camp. It took like yeah. 45. <laughs> well, you know what? If you don't clean the dishes right after dinner, they get crusty and it's hard. Well, and the fun part too, or the funny part about it was, is the night before, and we're big about trying to provide more education here. We sure. had the, we had the gal come in from the DNR to talk specifically about leave no trace. Ah, good. And you know, she's looking around going like, here's how you dig a foxhole. <laughs> and then there's just water balloon shards everywhere. <laughs> what happened here? Well. <laughs> <laughs> That's about how the conversation went. <laughs> That's great. But those are super bio- biodegradable, right? We picked them all up. Excellent. We left no trace. <laughs> Excellent. Aside from some skid marks going down the gravel road. <laughs> what uh, what trails did you guys use for the, for the uh, training stuff? So we break all of the the kids into ability-based groups. Okay. And, and from there, they literally wrote everything out wow. there. And so, and this is, we were talking about this at camp. The first year of camp, there's a certain ability level and you had like one or two kids that were like, okay, we have to be cognizant of what coaches we put them with. Sure. And this year we're looking at the rider list and we're going, we need to find more like really, really, really good fast coaches. Wow. Because those kids are really fast. That's great. And um, it was really funny. At one point in time, we actually had to rotate some of the coaches through because wow. uh, the coaches couldn't hang. Yeah, that's amazing. That's that's really exciting that you're getting that level of talent and that they're committed enough to spend a week or you know three or four days at camp. Yeah, and it's it's you know it's not specifically about trying to become an elite level athlete at camp, but it's right. let's go off. Let's have a great opportunity to go ride some trails that a lot of these kids don't normally have the opportunity. Well, to right, go ride. it's two and a half for more hours away, right? Yeah, but get to meet new friends from other from other cities, mm-hmm. and uh, great make for some great lifelong memories. That's fantastic. And so, how big was your team that was putting it on? That was managing all of that. We we cap it at sixty kids. Okay, um, and it takes thirty coaches. Wow. So it's a pretty big undertaking. That's amazing. I mean, I, I'm still blown away by the fact that you have that one to two student to, to teacher ratio. That's just an, an incredible thing. Yeah, well, camp, camps are a lot more complicated because yeah. you know, they're 24 hours a day. And, right. You know, and even food. You know, this is the funny part. As I look at the food bill every year mm-hmm. and uh, we work with a local food vendor in the first year, we, we agreed upon how much we're going to, you know, how, yep. how much are we going to make? And she comes in in the first time we get done she goes i need to make some more i was like well how much more she's like i think i'm gonna make 30 percent more wow and then she came back the next she's i think i need to make more i was like how much more she goes at 20 percent more wow yeah <laughs> and uh you know they're out there riding a lot right. and they're growing yeah. kids and right and you always forget how much they eat mm-hmm. so i wonder if mom and dad actually noticed the grocery bill <laughs> dramatically decrease yeah that one week yeah Yep. So, so, uh, there's some new stretches of trail up there, aren't there? Yeah. And you know, that was the hardest part for me personally, because I didn't get a chance to go pre-ride them before camp started. And you know, they're doing, they're trying to do a good job up there of like marking them with signs, but not all of the, the, the maps are changed. Oh, right. Yeah. And so we're out there. Cause it's brand new. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. They're getting rid of all the one way or all the two way stuff. So it's, it's that's great. Phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal trail improvements. They put the pump track in. Um, there was some crazy downhill lines like some roll off yeah. 10 foot roll mm-hmm. out big double like yep. um i'm not gonna hit it um, wow 
but a uh, ton of new great trails and the fact that they did a, a lot better job connecting boot camp around into nice. easy street. Um, so if you're out in the Monoman unit, uh, they've, they've made that a lot more usable That's and you great. can actually put together some really good, you know, eight, 10, 12 mile laps there yeah. and not feel like you had to ride the same connector trail like seven times. That's, to do that. that's really nice. And you're also, from what I, I'm gathering, you don't have to go straight up to get to the first part of the trail, right? But <laughs> the kids seem to like that, you know, Christina Ross, yeah. um, you know, she's a, a coach for the Chaska Chanhassen team, um, as well as a, a multi-time Lutz and 99er winner and, and very accomplished athlete. Yeah. And she, she always tells her kids, you know, if everyone doesn't like the hills, that means you need to embrace and love the hills. So yeah. love the hills. And the kids listen to her. That's great. I haven't signed up for that. Yeah. But, they, you know. I know. I People tell me that all the time, too. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I like going down. Gravity is my friend. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> you know, I need I need to get up the, up north and even over to Welsh to try out some of that downhill. Because that, to me, seems like magical bicycle riding. Well. <laughs> like, you go up on a chairlift. Yep. And you go down, so you don't have to pedal once. So I did the whole embrace your fat bike year-round thing. Yep. And um, we were up at Duluth a couple of years ago. We had our national summit, and it was a ton of fun. And uh, they spun the lifts up for us. And nice. And this was like my first time ever like really doing downhill, downhill. Yeah. And I quickly realized that a rigid fat bike is not the way to do it. Ah, And okay. um, so I, I went and picked up a, a, a different bike. Yep. And um, I quickly learned that having a five-inch travel bike for someone of my age and my weight is a bad idea because <laughs> I will do things that I should not I'm be doing. I'm superhuman! Well, that's the thing. You know, you look at this rock pile or you look at this drop and you're like... I would never hit that. Now you're on this bike that just like magically eats yeah. up everything. And next Hold you know, my beer. Well, yeah, you're dropping three <laughs> foot rock drops and you're like, this is no big deal. And then finally, at one point in time, you realize, you know, it hasn't gone wrong yet. <laughs> yet being the optimal word. Well, I'm a realist. <laughs> Someday it's going to go wrong. Yeah. And it's going to go horrible. <laughs> what's that down there? Oh, yeah, that was Josh. <laughs> so what are you riding now? I mean, what, what's your trail, your trail fleet like? So, uh, you know, I went through this giant pairing down. Um, I was told I have a problem. Aha. Uh -huh. And um, so anyways, I, I got it down. I'm, so I'm riding an Atso, okay. um, which is fantastic. I had 29 plus tires in the summer, riding fat all winter. Nice. Really love the narrow Q factor on it. Um, I, I still have my purple Pugsley. Yeah. With its broken chainstay. Oh. We maybe got our derby on a little too hard one day at Homie uh -oh. Fall Fest. <laughs> and um, I've, I've hung it there and I just, I can't give it up. Yeah. Um, but then I uh, wound up riding a, a Trek Fuely X hmm. and, and that was a wonderful and horrible thing. I, I went a lot faster. Yeah. Um, I was riding things that I never would have rode before and I'm um, waiting to hurt myself. <laughs> so is your Otso a dual suspension or is it a uh, rigid? No, that's rigid. Yeah. Yep. Nice. So, which is, which is actually a lot of fun when you're trying to keep up with the kids, especially when you're on some nice smooth trails. Yeah. But, uh, when you're out riding Duluth, especially lift service, mm -hmm. um, I love having a five inch travel bike with really big brakes. Yeah. Really that, big brakes. Yeah. a dropper. Yeah. <laughs> You've got all the, all the creature comforts clearly. Well, at some point in time, <laughs> I, you know, I don't have one on the rigid yet, Yeah. but it's coming. Yeah. Well, you gotta, you know, you gotta understand where you are, where you are in your riding life and. Yeah, so I did break down and I sold my last road bike. Really? Yeah. Wow. You know, I just had that conversation with my neighbor. He's talking about doing that because he rides fat almost all the time now. Well, that's the hard part. I mean, I, I live down in farming country and, you know, we don't have to go find gravel because gravel is everywhere. Right. And so you just, you know, you, you hop on the rigid and you just start, you know, rolling out yeah. gravel. And it's amazing. You know, Dirty Kansas this year actually mm -hmm. had a category for wow. high school kids. No kidding. Yeah. And that's, that's how, amazing. And, you know, the scary part was how fast they were. Wow. <laughs> I know that's kind of the reoccurring theme here, yeah. but, um, you know, I know gravel racing's huge. Um, I'm not a gravel racer, but yep. it's kind of fun just to go, go, I wonder where this gravel road goes and right. no Whoop, Garmin, you. you know, your yeah. phone's off and you're back and you figure at some point in time when I get tired, I'll pull it out and hopefully I'll have cell phone service. Yeah. Right. And just ride back. Yeah. Yeah. That's, if you can remember. I think that's, the, well, there is, there's the key, right? Because none of those gravel roads are in, an entirely square. Yeah. I, I have a bad memory of Ragnarok. It was probably 2009, 2010 and yep. got so lost. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so lucky that I, I actually, I think it was the gentleman I was putting on. I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. And there, he's driving a car back with a bunch of folks that are sagging out. <laughs> and he just pulls over and he's like, are you supposed to be on the course? <laughs> oh, no. And I'm like, I thought I was just really behind everybody. <laughs> 
I'm used to being by myself. Yeah, and he's like, get in. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's got to be demoralizing. Eh, it was okay. <laughs> they they had uh, they had beverages and refreshments available for everyone in Perfect. the vehicle, so life yeah. was good. Room for the bike yeah. and beers or, you know, sodas or whatever. That, and, that wasn't until yeah. we were parked. Oh, good. Yes. 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 That's wise. That's yes. wise. Yes. So you had a pretty big trip uh, earlier this year. You went down southwest. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's kind of funny. My wife is not really big into backpacking and doing all these other things, although she likes the idea of it. Yeah. And she's going to get really mad at me that I tell the story. <laughs> um, but that's right. It's radio. We, we figured out there was two big things. She didn't want to camp on the ground because apex predators like bears, especially grizzlies are a bad thing. Yep. And um, she's wise that way. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's more comfortable to sleep on foam. So we figured the whole rooftop tent thing and then glamping out of a car was acceptable. Sure. That sounds good. Yeah. And so it initially started off as let's go to Yellowstone, let's go to Glacier and just kind of spend two weeks driving around. Sure. And then um, I did something really bad and I looked at backcountry permits for the White Rim Trail. Oh, wow. And uh, I'm like, well, uh, that's not the plan, but I got backcountry permits for the White Rim Trail with camping spots, so we're going to go do that. <laughs> awesome. And uh, so we went and spent uh, then a week down in Moab and uh, wow. went and got in trouble and am no worse for wear, and there's no major damage to myself or the motor vehicle. That's excellent. So you obviously did some some riding down there. What were some of the trails that you did, and what was it? What was the riding experience like? You're, you're going to hate to hear this. I, I, I probably will. The bike stayed at home. What? Yeah. You did not ride down there? Uh, the, the conversation was had. Wow. But uh, yeah, we did a lot of hiking. Wow. And a lot of, a lot of sightseeing out in wilderness, but uh, we, didn't, we didn't go riding. That's amazing. I figured that Moab had like a law where you couldn't come into town if you didn't have a, a bike on the car. Um, if you have a four-wheel drive vehicle, they give you a pass. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair. And, and all it did was reinforce the fact that a bike should have come <laughs> and I need to go back next year. <laughs> And, uh, so, but that's great. So what kinds of, what kinds of trails are down there? I mean, I mean, I know there's tons of trail networks down there, but did you see anything specifically that you go, this is the place I got to come back oh, geez. to? You know, the, the hard part is it all depends on what you want to do. And I still remember when we're driving to enter the white rim trail Yep. and, um, I, I don't know that my wife knew what was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you're not familiar, you're way up on this plateau and let's just call it your 2000 feet up or whatever, um, from the green river. And then all of a sudden you start driving down this road that is literally chiseled into this sheer rock face. And so it's a sheer rock cliff on wow. one side of your yeah. vehicle. You got a 10 foot ride, you know, road, yeah. if you want to call it that, which okay. is a slick rock. Wow. And then you have like a cliff that's like 2000 feet to the bottom on oh the other side. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's one of the craziest things. And I just thought it was so funny. So I'm like, I'm rolling over and then you have that moment of self doubt or uh -huh. at least like, do I really want to do this? When a lot of things start to clench up. Yes. And, uh, and, and she doesn't say anything. She just quietly grabs a hold of the door handle <laughs> and we continue. And it takes like 10 minutes. Cause you got to go through like all of these switchbacks wow. and then halfway down this guy is coming up. So we had to like sit up in a turn back oh, up man. and then jockey the Yikes. vehicle in this place that, you know, this person could get by. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, wow. that, but that was a, a, a ton of fun. And, and I understand why people, and they do these, these package tours where the yeah. sag wagon will fall you, but it's this crazy lifted van that some very experienced drivers and you get sure. to actually bike the white rim. Wow. And, uh, my uncle did a couple years ago and he asked me to go and I didn't go and I regretted it. And then this permit came up, like, well, I should go see what that's all about. And well, now it's on my bucket list. That's awesome. Well, I, I've heard a number of people who have invited me to come out and I've never been able to make it. And so I'm really looking forward to that opportunity because everyone I've talked to said the riding is just insane. Yeah, it, there is. And it, it's so neat, the diversity of the riding that you have out there. I mean, yeah. it's not just all slick rock and there is so many beautiful things to see. And you'd think that the desert's the desert and it's just some rock, but uh, it's a truly magical place. That's fantastic. You know, I want to play another another tune that you requested, uh, Joe Bonamassa. And I, I, I like this tune that you picked out, Mountain Calling, right? <laughs> and the the thing that I am kind of blown away by is I'd never really heard of Joe until you introduced him to me. Oh, really? And I'm like, this guy is amazing. I mean, yeah. he is an unbelievable blues guitarist, just a, a tremendous musician. But I'm I'm curious to know how you found out about him. I mean, how did you discover him? You know, that's a great question. Um I think it was initially I was watching Guitar Center had a, an acoustic set on kind of like a throwback to MTV Unplugged. And, you know, it's a Saturday morning at eight o'clock and you're flipping through the channels and you're like, you hear this blues guitar. So you're like, this dude's awesome. Yeah. And then so you, you keep watching and watching and watching. And then I completely forgot the guy's name. And then someone posted about this Joe Bonahoo. Yeah. And I'm like, huh? 
oh, sure enough, that's that Joe Bonamassa guy. Huh. And uh, been hooked ever since. Beautiful, brilliant guitar player, singer-songwriter, does some great throwback covers. And uh, I've kind of turned into a groupie whenever he comes. He's in Minneapolis about every other year, and then he's somewhere outstate every other year. And uh, I think I'm going on seven straight years of seeing him. Wow. And we've had to drive to Des Moines or to drive to Sioux Falls, South Dakota to see him. Boy, that's office. a commitment. It's worth it, though. It, yeah. It's so funny. He's like, the show starts at 8 o'clock. So at 7.59, the amps start up and wow. he plays for two to two and a half hours straight. Unbelievable. No break, nothing, and then he's done. Wow. And it, the the singing, the playing is just as tight as any of the studio. Albums. That's amazing. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting story. I sort of, you know, liken him to, you know, Johnny Lang mm-hmm. from, from here. But he somehow made it to, Joe somehow made it to another level. I mean, he had some great connections along the way with Clapton and mm-hmm. some of these other guys who kind of took him under his wing when they were, when he was like really young. I yeah, mean, BB King, he's like eight or nine years old playing on stage with BB King. <laughs> I mean, how, uh, how do you get to do that? Yeah, that's unbelievable. So, but the other big thing too, is every single one of his albums, he'll have like a different influence. Really? And so every album has a different tone or a different feel to it. And yeah. so, you know, unlike, and I love Kiss, but. You know, there's a format there. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know what you're getting. Yeah. And, and here it's like, you don't know what you're going to get. That's Every really album cool. is different. He does so many wonderful collaborations. Yeah. I'm really curious to dig into the stuff that he's done with Beth Hart. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, but even a lot of the work that he did with John Hyatt is also really? worth looking up. Yeah. And, and cool. you know, if you're kind of into that, that folk stuff, um, he did some wonderful work with John Hyatt. Actually covers a number of John Hyatt songs. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Well, let's listen to, uh, to Joe here. We've got... Uh, Mountain climbing, excuse me, not mountain calling, mountain climbing. Strap! 
That was Joe Bonamassa with Mountain Climbing. You are listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at McAllister College Radio 91.7 FM, St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm here with Josh Cleave, the executive director of the Minnesota High School League. Josh, thanks for being here with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been uh, fantastic to chat about bikes and listening to some fantastic music. And we ha- I got a shout out for the live performance earlier today. That Those guys a- rocked, didn't they? That was wonderful. You know, for a ska funk punk band they actually brought the metal i was pleased yeah. i was very pleased yeah they uh, they're trainable there you go <laughs> so um before we let you go i want to ask you a little bit more about you know how you got into mountain biking mm-hmm. um so <laughs> it's it's really funny because one of your past guests was instrumental in me getting into mountain biking yeah and uh so i went off and i bought my first mountain bike um from erickson richfield okay and there was this uh, guy back in the shop somewhere, and I bought this bike, and he goes, well, have you, have you rode these trails? I said, <laughs> no, what trails? He goes, I'm on launch. Let's go. And so we went over and rode what was then the River Bottoms. Right. And uh, so it turns out it was, it was Hollywood Henderson. Nice. Um, although a much younger version. <laughs> Sorry, Jay. But no less metal. <laughs> no less metal. And uh, and then he kind of said, well, hey, there's mountain bike racing down here at Buck Hill. And I'm like, that's cool. Whoa. So I started showing up doing that. And, um, and that's really how it, it kind of all got started. I was 15 years old and wanted to go ride a bike or needed that's a bike awesome. for transportation and, uh, and then got into mountain biking. It's kind of been history ever since. So that's, that's awesome. So what is it like for you as the, uh, the league executive director? What, what, what's the passion for you and what, what keeps you going as the director? You know, it, it's kind of odd. I come from a family of teachers. I'm one of the few grandkids that isn't a teacher. Wow. Um, when you go back and look at my grandparents' level. And, and so we seem to come from a family of people that like to mentor and like to give back. My grandfather has this great saying, there's no U-Haul behind a hearse. Uh, people remember what you did, not what you had. And that's always stuck oh, that's with me. Great. And so, you know, as you get a little older, you kind of go, well, what can I do to give back? And yeah. so I, I started an alpine ski program, started coaching. That was a lot of fun. Um, talking with Gary Soquist uh, and, it, you know, with the Minnesota series. And um, this idea got hatched and, and, you know, it was really funny. And he goes, well, if we decide to do something, will you help? And I said, yeah. And he called my bluff. And, um, and <laughs> Careful it, what you wish for, right? Yeah, that's exactly Or it. what you sign up yeah, for. <laughs> we thought 200 kids was going to be amazing. Yeah, this would be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, it's just this great thing to get people out to enjoy this sport that you've had as part of your life. Yeah. And because it's not a readily accessible activity, since it's not something that you're just going to go by happenstance, fine. I got dumb lucky, right? Yeah, right. Um, you know, Thanks, it, Hollywood. Yeah, Although we don't need to stroke his ego anymore. <laughs> it's the second time this year he's heard me tell this story. This is like the third time in history I've ever told it. Um, but at the end of the day, it's how can you give back? How can you get someone to embrace this this sport that you truly love and, and make it accessible to more people? And simultaneously, I mean, stick and ball sports, if you're into them, great. Keep doing them. If, if 
you're passionate about it. But here's this great lifelong activity. 99% of our kids say after the program, they're going to keep riding their bikes. Yeah. I don't care if they ever race. Yeah. But we've given them this new activity, this new passion that they can do for the rest of their life, whether it's commuting, racing, um, or just going on having a good time on the single track. Yeah. And, you know, and it's really reassuring to hear, you know, the statistics bear out the safety and the, and the, you know, health benefits of mountain biking for kids, Mm -hmm. you know, that we never really had good data on before. Yeah. Well, and I, I just, I feel really good that we're no longer giving kids carpal tunnel because they've been playing with the video games too much. Right. Yeah. Yep. Now it's because they're shifting up and down, right? <laughs> it just sounds so, you know, yeah. more raw, right? Totally. If you're going to have in something like that. Right. Yeah. You're actually going off sweet jumps by yourself, not because you're doing X, Y, <laughs> triangle, square, right? What was the Konami code? Up, up, down, down, left, left, right. Or That's right. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, B, A. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> okay. So you're, you're part of that world too, right? <laughs> Yes. So uh, if somebody wanted to get involved in the league, whether it was from a volunteering perspective or from a racing perspective, coaching, what is it? How can people find out more about the league? Easiest thing to do is go to our website. It's Minnesota, all spelled out, MTB, like Mary Tyler Bravo, dot yep. org. And there's information there on how to find a team if there's one in your area. There's one there to how to start a team, uh, how to become a coach or how to volunteer. And uh, we're also always looking for folks that are interested in helping us out in any other capacity, too. So contact information is available if you have something else that the website doesn't directly address. Fantastic. And so when does the league start up for the fall? Oh, geez, it's already started. Wow. I mean, uh, we start really early with coaches training in February, March. Um, uh, practices started July 1st. Uh, racing is going to start the weekend before Labor Day. We'll wrap up with racing here the weekend before Halloween. And uh, we'll have our uh, year-end celebration sometime in November. Fantastic. Well, Josh, it's been a tremendous uh, thrill to have you on the show. It's been fun talking radio, talking mountain biking, and I really appreciate you coming down to join us. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jason. And uh, All right. Rock on. All right. Blast Beats and Bicycles has been the show today. This is 91.7 WMCN-FM in St. Paul, Minnesota. Bicycle. Jesus, I don't want to be a candidate for being number one again. Cause all I want to do 